Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. Hello, you're listening to No Proof. As always, I am Josh Gandy, and I am joined today by Noah Villeneuve, who heads the Club Sodas Cocktail Program for the Tasting Room at 39 Drury Lane in London. No, I'm I'm excited to chat with you. Um, we've been kind of Instagram pals for a little bit now, and just being able to see some of the creations that you put across, some of the things that you share about alcohol-free lifestyle is just like really great. It's um is always inspiring to see, and especially in a um you know a portion of the industry that is growing so rapidly for creativity to still kind of like blossom with that and not kind of like get wrapped up in the the speed of which it's processing is really cool to see so i guess i just firstly want to say uh, thank you for your contributions and everything that you've been putting together uh recently just looks so delicious and incredible that is extremely kind thank you so much josh i mean it's a bit of a fanboy moment for me to be on this podcast, man. I mean, I when I first got sober, I listened to this podcast religiously. This like totally helped me through early sobriety. And and I think it's one of the reasons I'm still in hospitality, like still felt it was possible to do by listening to you speak to some of the guests. And, you know, as far back as the Jack McGarry episode, like I... I just love everything that's that you've been doing with the podcast. And again, on your side of the Atlantic, so... Great to connect. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Really excited to chat to you. Thank you. I was not um, prepared for that. <laughs> that was very kind of you. Uh, so Noah, take us back as far as you like. You know, what's your um, involvement with the restaurant industry been like? What's your uh, your comeuppance been like? Yeah, man. So go back to I think it kind of starts around 2008 2009 time really was like my first intro to hospitality where I worked in a milkshake shop yeah like like all good hospitality journeys start you know cut your teeth in the milkshake game uh it was for a, a fairly popular chain at the time and yeah just slinging shakes it was super busy um and embarrassingly had to wear like a, a milkshake costume at certain points to go outside of and promote that. That that was oh, never no. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't humiliating at all. And we were called Shakeettes. That that's all the the time that milkshakes are getting. It's a and it's then, a wonder why you ever left. I know, I know. Really. <laughs> um then I I studied music at university. I did so I did a degree in songwriting and through that, I worked in a pub, old school, old bloke boozer in south of Bristol, which is just outside of London. And it was a music venue as well. Sticky floors, dark, cascale, ciders, abusive men. Like, you know, the stuff that you really, I think every 
good bartender needs a bit of you know a bit of that in their in their upbringing really so I did that for a few years just to kind of learn the real basics and honestly that was just a big education in the tougher side of of you know working horrible shifts with with not that great clientele and and, and just really you know intense situations like people throwing bricks through windows and stuff and all that fun good stuff so what were you experiencing during that that makes you want to stick stick it through you know what were were there any glimmering hope of the industry or was it just in hopes of i hope something else comes along at that point i was i was truly just doing it so it was money in my pocket so i could afford rehearsal space for my band and drugs and that that is the reality of it um and booze or you know give the money to the people who are old enough to buy me booze right mm-hmm. it, it the it wasn't a career idea at the time i was i was going to be a rock star i was going to be a famous musician and there was no two ways about it that was what i was i was put on this planet to do you know i was so driven to do that i got out of my degree and wanted absolutely nothing to do with music. I was so disenfranchised with having spent three years being told how to be creative in a degree format was um, actually backfired and I hated it. So I just wanted nothing to do with being a musician and I, I just didn't know what that looked like. I had a friend at the time who was doing quite well, quite successful in the music industry. So I just reached out to him, gave him a call and asked him if he had any jobs going <clears throat> a couple of weeks later he called me back and said that I was coming out on the road a couple of weeks later I ended up touring with him for two to three years as like an assistant as like a tour managing role um so being able to tour around the world with friends like almost famous is my favorite film and I very much felt like I was living out that dream like yeah, you felt like one day you would be cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah there I was and you know we, we can we can circle back to that later you know around reasons why that didn't last long mm-hmm. and the certain downsides to that lifestyle when I essentially lost that job I again was totally lost but I had I had money in my pocket because I'd, I'd just been on the road and you don't tend to spend much money when you're touring. So I just kicked about and, and that was, again, a real dark time and, and full of, of, of booze um, and drugs and all that stuff. And I got, I got, you know, I fell in love with going to cocktail bars during that time. I, I fell in love with sitting at bars and, and discovering drinks at this time, I was only really, you know, I guess I'd seen Don Draper. So I thought an old fashioned was cool. I was like one of those assholes <laughs> um, getting into Negronis and stuff. But I th- I think it was like spin the wheel, see what you land on. I, I, I obviously had skills, but I didn't know what the rest of what my future looked like. Um, I just applied to the most random things. I did an interview at a suit shop. Um, I, I think I was still convinced music was the future for me. So you were kind of looking for a bit of stepping stones and and whatever department that would be. Yeah. So I looked, I was working in a record store for a bit. 
and there was a bar opening just down the road from where we were running the record store. And I was like, this looks cool. I like the vibe. I'm going to give them my CV. Long story short, got a job there. And that was kind of the real start of my hospitality career. That was a really fully ingrained cocktail training program. Like they'd been around for 10 years. They had multiple sites around the UK, big infrastructure, lots of money, massive money injected into this project. So it was like kind of everything I needed as a support system to kind of get things kicked off, cut my teeth properly, learn the classics, learn how to free pour, do all of this. It was really fast paced, really high quantity and semi-decent quality drinks. Mm-hmm kind of realm I learned a lot and met some amazing people and worked my way up really fast because in those kinds of intense environments people drop off really quickly right so I worked my way up and by we're at 2019 now I was in a bar operations role I was traveling around the UK opening sites training big teams I was writing cocktail menus for brands I was getting consultancy work from from outside that job, things were going really well. I was living half of my life on a train and being taken out by brands for dinner multiple nights a week, getting free booze all the time, whether that was sent to my house or drinking on you know, their credit cards. I really thought I had made it and I was living essentially the rock star dream equivalent in the cocktail world. Mm-hmm. Until... It stopped becoming fun. And again, I'm sure we'll come back to this, but January 2020, I completely, just completely lost it. Everything caught up with me. Full metal breakdown. And in a way, COVID kind of came at a time where, I mean, I didn't didn't have to really acknowledge what just happened. So I fell straight back into it. And then COVID happened in the middle of that. I kind of lost that role, decided I was more interested in food and wine. I started getting really into wine. So I spent a lot of my COVID time doing my WSET qualifications, working my way up up to level three, and then ended up becoming a sommelier and working in Italian restaurants, specifically Italian wine and just getting super, super in, involved into that. Worked there for about a year and a half. And then to speed up to last year, I was still living in Bristol. I got sober and I needed to leave Bristol. I left for a few months. I came out to the States and Canada. Canada's where my family are. Spent three months out there, kind of clearing my head, figuring out what the next step was. Turns out the next step was London. I knew I always wanted to live here. I didn't know when, but felt like the time was right. And I got really, really lucky. I I landed some interviews at some quite high high profile restaurants. And I remember sitting in these interviews with certain bar managers and and there wasn't a level of trust to you know i i had so much experience at this point but these bar managers were not going to trust somebody who didn't drink somebody who wasn't willing to swell and spit how did that come up in the interviews i had to approach it head on 
you know we i had to make sure we got on as people first and then the you know the usual do you have any questions for us i said so i'm sober and i don't drink what's your stance on that and every time i'd presented that i didn't get the response that i needed basically and i i just couldn't dedicate the next however many months of my life to something that was so uncertain i got home one night before another trial shift and i happened to go on linkedin a friend of mine who was working works for liars had liked a post it was a job advertisement for the club soda shop and tasting room project and i just saw the application and i was like oh my god this is kind of this is my next step if you know whether you believe in energies or kind of gifts from the universe it really felt like this was made for me and spoke to them the next day had another interview two weeks later got the job and that's been my life since september october and it's just been an absolute whirlwind of amazing thing after amazing thing and so much hard work but i found like actually my true calling in the AF space. And I'm just like so excited and passionate to keep pushing it forward. And oh, it's such an exciting time to be in this role in this world. It sounds like a lot of things had to swell and a lot of things had to be shaken off um, to get to this point. I'm interested to hear from you what followed you into the first cocktail bar that you worked in you know you're coming off tour you are somebody uh you know experiencing youth experiencing the kind of like travel and excitement that comes with this sort of like transient lifestyle um it's a world without a lot of barriers and you know <clears throat> you even reference to it a little bit of just like we'll get i'm sure we'll get back to that about why it's not sustainable um you know, I think we can all infer a little bit why that is not sustainable, but how much of that followed you to the cocktail bar? And then it sounds like you took yourself very seriously and you grew. It sounds like pretty rapidly, even within that. Was it always something that was kind of like following you because you even in the language that you chose so that it caught up to you? What were you doing to make it keep its distance and how aware of it were you in, in these kind of, you know, different moments of your life? I think the truth is, you know, I've had a little bit of time to reflect on this now. And, and I think the truth is that it, it's been following me for a really long time. Honestly, probably as long as I can remember drinking. Certainly 14, 15, 16, especially. I, I knew deep down that my drinking behavior was different. And the results of my drinking behavior seemed darker and more negative than the people around me it seemed like it was impacting me differently but when you're a teenager you just put it down to you just put it down to environment yeah it just felt normal so I didn't think too much of it but then I, I, people talk about rock bottoms and I had so many rock bottoms, you know, I, ca I cannot name. And they happened on an annual basis. Any one of those times, I think, really just kept on hitting home that, that I have a problem. But society said, or I kept on finding excuses. I guess this goes on to me realizing 
the reason I got into hospitality, which seems bittersweet to say now, it almost feels like I used it. I feel like I'm using it for good now, but I got into it, you know, originally I signed up for that cocktail bar because I was like, I wonder if I go into this business, if my alcoholism can be accepted. I can be surrounded by like-minded people who like to party all the time and live a rock and roll lifestyle via cocktails. And, and I was that's not untrue. <laughs> no, I, I found it in that particular arena. And so I was gassed. I was like, so, so happy that, and don't get me wrong, like some of those people I met are still friends now. It's not like it was purely toxic people, but the environment was very heavy. And it was one of those bars where sometimes you are doing 70, 80 hour weeks. Like it was brutal. So they're the only people you see. You see them more your family and, and friends. And and I, I was drunk a lot on shifts. You know, it was really, really bad behavior. I think it was impossible to deny how bad my my drinking behavior was at that point. I was hiding bottles everywhere I could. I had bottles in my locker, in the bar back room, under the bar, my coffee cup. I could barely go for a walk for 10, 20 minutes without hiding minis in my coat or like having, you know, going on my lunch break. Like, okay, how much can I squeeze in now and still go back to shift and like pull off the rest of the night? I think it became abundantly clear when I started behaving like that, that there was something wrong. But because I kept on succeeding and getting promotion after promotion, it, it was like, well, I must be doing something, right? So why should I change my behavior? So it, it really did feel like it was, it felt like it was following me throughout and it paid, I paid the price for that when I was touring, you know, it was, it was, I got up to some outrageous stuff that was really bad. And, and I'm amazed I didn't get fired sooner, to be honest, from music. It's a shame. Um, and I don't know if I call that regret or what have you. I feel like I have, made amends these days for that but yeah it's it was a demon on my back for you know the best part of 15 years so how did you make the change you know because it sounds like even though it probably doesn't resemble the way that you check in now with yourself that you were still in some way kind of checking in but instead of saying what am i doing um you know, that is servicing me or works for, you know, the uh, progression of my lifestyle was checking in of just kind of like, how well am I doing in spite of, even though I'm aware of these kind of like toxic things that I'm doing, I'm still progressing in some ways. So if you still were progressing and, you know, uh, able to kind of like climb the ladder in some ways, what did, how, did you have to miss a rung? What did it take to kind of start shaping the next move? Hmm. It's a good question. I continued to find roles that I think I kept on finding excuses to cover up my alcoholism, which is why I got into wine. And I, I remember speaking to Ian Blessing from All the Bitter about this because he kind of had a, we bonded over the idea that we were intellectualizing a habit. Mm -hmm. You know, wine can be seen as this kind of romantic, intellectual side of booze. So I I used that to combat it for a while. Um, 
Do you edit this in post? I can. Because <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot the question and I don't I feel like I was trailing. No, it's quite all right. We can catch back up. What was the what were the signs? What did you have to do to shift? And I think that's a really good jumping off point too of leading into, you know, chasing some of the parts of the career that romanticize it. And when we are getting in a position where we are the ones making excuses for our own behaviors, if we're kind of like living in that shroud and uh, clouded world of how great it would be if someone stepped in and said, hey, you should stop this or kind of like kicked off the pathway to be able to do that. It doesn't always exist. And it's especially in that kind of like moment where, uh, you know, the lifestyle is sort of fleeting in such a way. No one steps in usually. Sometimes they do. And then you're led into a building that you're not allowed to leave for a month. But for some others, like you start to put those things together. Did you put it together? Did somebody else put it together with you based on conversation? Or or how did you make that switch to become who you are now? Yeah, I think you're right. We, You know, I, I did keep expecting to walk into a room and there'd be some kind of intervention. But television lied to us and and that isn't just that just isn't an easy thing for people to put together so i guess for a long time because nobody was pulling me aside and saying i had an issue that, that i didn't have an issue i think i did put the pieces together the the last 12 months of my drinking really were heightened and and <laughs> rock bottoms were multiple times a month or a week and I think I started to see the effect it was having on my relationship with my partner at the time, um, certain family members, my work life, my band life, that it it started to have a negative impact on just about every aspect. And I, I think I could start to see cracks forming and, and you know, I, I ended up, hospitalized at one point and and I thought that would be a wake-up call but actually all I wanted to do when I was in the in the hospital at the time was was uh run out and get find a drink you know so it's like there was two voices in my head and and there was one saying that you can't you can't keep doing this you you there was no way this is sustainable uh, you know my mental health had a huge part to play in this has always been a battle. I've always struggled with depression and anxiety. And in that those last 12 months, it, was, it just got really like the darkest it had ever been. And I, I think I started to scare myself with kind of the places my mind was taking me. And I, I really had to make the call of how to stop that. You know, there was there's been portions of my life where I I was either I was going to die, whether that was through the drink itself or whether, where the drink was going to take me. And I just got I think I scared myself too much. I think I finally got to the point where essentially enough was enough. And there was some light bulb moment where I, you know, it, I woke up one morning and I said enough was enough. And, and yeah, I think that's kind of. Yeah, how it happened. What was life like after that decision? How long did it take to kind of come around to it? Did it immediately feel like it was the right decision or was it even kind of something mentally that you you thought you could bounce back to? It was weird. It was definitely weird. I defined myself by that for so long 
it was kind of part of my brand <laughs> um so it took a little while to figure out you know i think to just come up for you know to the surface that took a few months i think <laughs> it didn't help i was it's not recommended to manage a wine bar for the first three months of your sobriety <laughs> i was white knuckling it for sure i think when i got out of that and i took some time away and, and just had some fresh air and visited the lovely mountains in Canada and trees and wilderness and outside, you know, then I was like, okay, life's doable. Life is beautiful. You can, you can achieve great things without this. Your brain is better. Your body is better. You're happier. You know, even just the idea of waking up and not like being completely hateful of yourself and like wishing that life wasn't like this. It's like such a win, you know, if it was like such a breath of fresh air to be able to wake up and be excited about the day and and be excited about the future. So it became a really positive thing, you know, after a few months, like you know, month four, five, six, like they were, they were fantastic. Don't get me wrong, there was lots of ups and downs and actually month seven and eight and nine, really tough, like probably the toughest of, of the whole thing for me because the honeymoon period was over and, and you start to actually deal with difficulties of life again and you start experiencing the whole continuum of emotions that, that one can feel and you've got nothing to hide from. So dealing with that was, is difficult. But now, I mean, just over a year on, it's like, yeah, best decision I've ever made, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I feel like, especially early on, because, you know, infinity seems impossible. You start making those excuses for yourself of, well, I'll get on for a while. It might, I might learn that this is something that I can get back to, um, because it's kind of like all you know for a while and then you get far enough away from it and you're like in no world would I ever turn back in that direction again I know too much too much has been illuminated I've learned too much about me and I think like what's really um really illuminating in that especially for me is like in those moments where you have to deal with actual life and like the second you start dealing with it you realize it's not really that bad it's not as bad as you thought it would be and you know when those things would crop up and you would have a drink in place of it you're like we'll just deal with that later um you you were really putting off way too many little things and it like that's kind of like what creates the demon in a way where all of those things start to morph together into one big black cloud and you can't even see through it so when you have the the clarity to parse through things individually uh it's not that bad and then you're kind of left with the difficulty of like, oh, it's this forever. And one day at a time stops becoming a cliche that you heard all of the time. And it becomes, I'm better today than I was yesterday. I've sharpened this tool. I've dulled this feeling by just dealing with it, hammering at it every single day instead of like numbing it the way that I had before. But then a lightness appears and that is when you kind of like learn of who you've been all along, the part that you carried with you uh, the whole way. Who was that person? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to think about, really, to try and, you know, I, th I think 
it's hard to stop and and take <clears throat> kind of take notes of, of these things and and appreciate all of the positives that have come from it in in your personality and yeah who who is Noah now who was Noah back then I think there's I'm back to being a fun person who's like just silly just like ridiculous um a bit of an attention seeker will sing and dance in an extremely annoying way around you at all times I will make dad jokes and puns till the cows come home like there's an excitable child in me again and just really driven as well I, I found like I mean obviously yes there's a lot more time now in my life and and <laughs> the options have expanded because I just have more hours in the week but my drive is, is the the fastest it's been and, and just like the care and passion I'm putting into things and attention to detail and I'm not forgetting things and I'm not missing things out like I'm not in what's that Bradley Cooper film where he oh, takes the limitless yeah not like a limitless yeah. level but, you know like sobriety is a version of that where you're just like oh my god yeah, yeah. It, hd right yeah yeah hd the, the affordable not black market version of limitless yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i like that you um you know reference the childlike behavior it is that in a lot of ways because it's the you know that was the last time that you experienced sort of like unadulterated fun and uh, you know just exposure to the world things feel crisp and and new again I was like, even down to like rereading books or watching movies, you know, when I watched them as like a drinking person or I read them, like I was made like hyper aware of like how really like dull and numb some things were like, it was just no sharp edges. And sometimes I need those, whether it's like a reminder to kind of just like open my eyes to, to more or to just kind of like understand like where the darkness lies in some ways. Cause I think like, that's the part that some people fear um, of it not going away. And, you know, the darkness in yourself doesn't necessarily go away. Um, it gets dealt with differently. It gets milder. You are the one that kind of like has to put all of that stuff to bed. Um, yeah. But it becomes, becomes manageable. Yeah. Taking the power back and yeah. Gaining control or a lot more control than than you had before. It, there's there's so much, so much joy in that and and feeling in control. I used to enjoy the chaos. I I thought I was addicted to chaos, but actually, think about it. Child like me was actually not a control freak, but likes control. Like I have a bit of OCD and not in like a terrible way, but. I like things in order. I like structure. I like plans. I wasn't actually addicted to chaos. It was just a really bad version of me that was, that um, didn't get good results from it. So what's it like now, still getting attention from brands, having bottles and things sent to you, probably having a few meals here and there on some credit cards? What's that like in the NA space? It's incredible. I, I can't believe that I've been so lucky to find acceptance in a community again. <laughs> um, I really, you know, I you've 
spoken to people on this podcast all the time about did you think you'd have to jump ship right from the industry and I absolutely did I didn't see a way back in I I thought I was a goner so it's so exciting to just be able to it feels exactly the same it's like so and, and what's funny as well is that on a daily basis I'll get an email or somebody will come into the shop or I'll shake hands with somebody who I used to work with in AF brands. It's like, oh, this is the person from uh, Jägermeister. This is the person from uh, XYZ Whiskey. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting how many people are making this shift. Not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily sober, but like just for longevity of careers, you know, even like brand ambassadors and stuff. It makes sense. If people want to stay in the game a bit longer, <laughs> there's a lot of places you can go now that will sustain you. So it, it's really cool. It's it's such a, in the industry, you know, on trade is such an extraordinary space of so much support and the internet as well. Like the fact that we've been able to connect and the fact I've been able to connect with some absolute heroes of mine in the bartending world who, you know, don't drink anymore. People like Derek Brown or being able to, you know, just connection and community is is such a key player in in feeling like your decisions were correct like it's it's put a real positive spin on it all and I, I just feel very accepted and very welcomed and it's all happened really quickly and I'm just very very grateful it's the first time in a really long time that I've woken up every day grateful and I, I can't say much more than that yeah what's that like coming from somebody who essentially got into the industry to kind of hide in the shadows and uh you know take advantage baffling baffling yeah <laughs> yeah it, again like i said like i don't think i i spend enough time reflecting on it because i think that there's a, a certain part of me that just needs to focus on the the, the present and the future and the past is what it is um yeah i don't question it i just <laughs> I let it be what are some of the ways that you kind of like stay of mind for that um because obviously it was like very helpful to be able to go back to canada be in nature it kind of like gave you um you know probably just enough of that pause to think about things largely you know you can't always we can't always escape to nature. If you can, then you're very fortunate. But like, what are the ways that you kind of like bring back some of that feeling to you? Or how do you kind of like keep it top of mind? Or what do your check-ins look like now? I think a part of the check-ins are, are reminding myself of what the alternative is. Play it forward. You know, it's, the cravings are less and less now, which is great. But when they do come around, it's, thinking about if if I was to, to cave and, and give in and, and, and have a drink, what's that going to look like? It's not going to be pretty. So I think that's a really big one. I, th I think the idea of losing everything I have, not only externally, but like everything I've I've gained internally and all of the wins I've had from my brain, you know, it, I guess these all seem a little kind of airy fairy concepts but I on and off run I haven't got into a rhythm yet 
so I can't I can't say running has helped but I think walking I do walk a lot I walk everywhere all the time a lot of podcast time um yeah just having enough meditative time for my brain to just take a step back and breathe you know it sounds really simple um and there's no <laughs> i have no magic recipe it's just uh yeah very simple simple things at the moment yeah i think that's a you know big consideration for people is kind of learning that there is no magic recipe um so it's good to create whatever little things work yeah uh, i want to chat a moment about you know just kind of like the non-alk space in general you know you're someone who gets to play with a lot of um uh fun and inventive ingredients and you know even before we started recording this you were able to show me two things that i've never heard of <laughs> what is exciting um in this space what's kind of like happening with what's being created or the way that it's being talked about that makes you kind of like hopeful for the continuation of this type of conversation well i think in the uk but also internationally that we're in a really cool space where there are products coming to the market every week now that are actually extremely good quality i you know back in when i started trying things 2018 time maybe even a bit before that the ratio of of miss to hit was not was not great nowadays so much good stuff is coming through it doesn't mean everybody's gonna stay afloat but the fact that loads of people are making delicious liquid is just a really exciting place to be on top of that you know we're we're in a place now where it's not just here's an alcohol-free gin it's like here's an alcohol-free gin what style do you like do you want an alcohol-free mediterranean style gin do you want an alcohol-free london dry gin slow gin xyz gin you know it's this I'm a big aperitif guy, big Amaro guy. So I'm absolute kid in a candy store at the moment because there is so much cool stuff happening in the bittersweet world. Really, really amazing stuff happening. People are taking it more seriously. So this not only benefits me personally because I can see more things being offered in places I go, but professionally validates the direction of my role, my career, my job many people now coming to me for advice and and I'm able to do consulting work which is incredible it means there's also so many products that we can create really fun menus and everyone can create amazing drinks without having to be you know geniuses behind the stick like it's not we don't have we obviously there are people doing incredible things in, in the realm of homemade ingredients and stuff but for majority of bars who don't have the time or space or energy to do that we have enough products now where we can go have this sparkling wine have this alcohol-free spirit pop them in a glass with some ice and it's delicious you know there's some, some really easy fixes now so it's nice to see that there is more of an acceptance and more of an understanding of the category uh, still loads to do still loads of work and i i can sometimes forget i'm uh, living in an echo chamber with my work everybody i meet on a daily basis is interested in alcohol-free products naturally 
and I'm into having conversations with people who are generally resonating with where I'm coming from. I, I rarely have to fight the battle to convince people about it until I end up in a bar that has no options or a really bad cocktail, stuff like that. And <clears throat> or people who don't know what they're doing. And I have to remind myself, oh, there's actually a lot of training and education that needs to be done, not only behind the bar, but worldwide in terms of legislation of alcohol free and ABVs and what does this all mean? It's all part of the bigger project and, and people's awareness is raised with the more that we have successful products. And it's great that there's big brands doing things, you know, Diageo being able to push Seedlip to where it's at now and like Guinness Zero and Tanqueray Zero, like all of this, that's huge, huge for the category. So when we now that we have billboard sized advertisements of alcohol free products, we're in a good place. People have realized there is a market. And hopefully that keeps going onwards and upwards, to be honest. We're seeing drinking habits change across the board for a multitude of reasons. And I'm really excited to be playing a small part of that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very exciting because there are many trends. And I don't like to think about this as a, a trend because I think this will be longer lasting. I think this conversation is going to change the way that like people talk about drinking forever. Um but many kind of trends or the starts of those conversations that happen behind a bar. And then our hope, our hope is to bring that forward. That voice isn't always as amplified as what this is right now. And I think like you bring up a really great point about how it is being, um, you know, broadcast outside of just these like small house conversations. You know, I can go to a hockey game and the largest banners are about alcohol-free beer. And it's like one thing for me to talk to somebody like you about this stuff, but go home. And then my aunt is like, have you tried this? And I was like, who told you about this? <laughs> like, how do you know about this? Uh, and it just, I feel like there are the echo chambers that I'm in, but the conversation's also happening elsewhere and i think like that's what really shows me that there is kind of like you know uh uh positivity and um you know just link to something like this definitely i mean my mum sent me a message the other day saying that my everleaf bottles just arrived and she's hosting like a cocktail party <laughs> for her birthday for friends and she's making alcohol cocktails and alcohol free cocktails and she's like designed a menu you know what a place to be how cool is that Love that's it. amazing <laughs> well no it's been amazing catching up with you and and chatting about this and you know i thank you for your time and i thank you for your story josh it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me and thank you for all the good that you're doing and um i'm coming over to the states soon so uh let's grab a, let's grab a beer i'm for it That's no proof. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more, make sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music was written and recorded by my brother Kyle right here in Columbus, Ohio. To pick up an NA enamel pen and other great barware, head to moverandshakerco.com. More info and other shows like the Focus on Health podcast with Alex Jump can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.